how can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast. Sort of. Featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Welcome back into another edition of Booze and Baseball with Dusty Baker. I'm Derek Johnson. This is episode number 12 for us. And today we're going to be reviewing and recapping and previewing the NL Central, which might just be the worst division in baseball. Dusty, if you had to give a alcoholic drink uh, beverage to represent the NL Central, what would it be? Um, you know, one of those safe answers would be a Keystone. Uh, it's the lowest quality. You know, you're going to get the cheapest <laughs> the cheapest products possible. Um, unfortunately, you could probably equate it to what I'm drinking right now. Uh, I'm not even drinking an alcoholic beverage. I'm just drinking water that I put some tea in. So I, a nice tea bag cost me a, a whole 25 cents um, still on those COVID medications. But uh, yeah, not really a great division across the board. You know, Derek and I talked even before this podcast, that division is very much up for grabs and not for good reason. Uh, Derek, if you could compare it to any drink, what would it be? And while you're at it, what are you drinking? Uh, so first of all, what the division is, I think it's, is it Barton's the, the like vodka that comes in the plastic bottle? Oh. Is that, that stuff Barton's? is disgusting. Whatever it is, like the basically any type of alcohol, I guess, that comes in like a plastic bottle. Because you know that's going to be – it's going to be cheap. And, you know, to a certain standpoint, I have no idea who's going to win this Burnett's. division because – Okay, there we go. Burnett's. Yeah, you got it now. Um, I don't know who's going to win this division. And it might be just pure chaos, which it might actually be kind of entertaining because of that. Like you might have three teams within two games of each other around like 85 wins to win the division or something. But also at the end of the day, is it really going to be a good product? You know, are you going to feel good about yourself for spending time uh, consuming Burnett's or Barton's or any plastic type of alcohol no you're not so that would be the nl central in my estimation and what i am drinking today i went back to the beer life this is an avalanche amber ale it's made by breckenridge brewery Uh, the description on here it is caramel malt body with a light hop character doesn't that just sound so delicious that sounds amazing actually i wish i could have one oh my gosh all right what's the review good beer i would say a uh a leadoff single to the inning. It would be a great way to start things off. It tastes good. 
Uh, so you don't need to be intoxicated to try it and uh, it'll get the job done. Lead to a Is lot that of good a, nights, a, good, a lot of good innings. A solid leadoff hitter? Like, are we talking, uh, you know, maybe a former Adam Eaton type leadoff when he was with the, uh, the Nats? Or are we talking, you know, like Mookie Betts leadoff type style, George no, Springer? we're not talking Ichiro or Mookie Betts or George Springer is going to maybe hit that bomb. We're talking like, uh, I'm going to go a little meta here. We're going to talk Nori Aoki. Nori Aoki, guy who's going to hit contact. He's going to get you on base a lot to start out the inning. It's going to lead to a lot of good innings, but it's not going to be an all-star, you know? So, good stuff. I can tell you right now, I think I have completely forgotten about that guy. So, good for you, Derek. Uh, I'm glad that the beer is uh, Aoki style. As much as I'd love to just reminisce this whole show about Nori Aoki, we do got to get to the NL Central, as daunting of a task as that may be. The team who finished first last year with this, the uh, Chicago Cubs, they went 34-26, and 26, lost in the NL wildcard series. That's going to sound like a trend because they all did that, the ones that made the playoffs. Lost it in sweep fashion, too, to the Miami Marlins. If we're going to start out with the party, well, they've won the NL Central three of the last five years. That's very good. They also had a good pitching staff. They were top five in the NL in ERA and a lot of other categories. That was because Kyle Hendricks is a legend with the way that he pitches and continues to pitch well. You Darvish, absolute beast, and then they traded him. Um, overall, starters had a 3.77 ERA, so really good there. And then you had some some strong seasons and maybe possibly breakouts. Guys like Ian Happ, uh, Jason Hayward had one of his best seasons. Wilson Contreras had a strong season for them. But as you're going to get the sense with most of these teams moving into 2021, probably a little more hangover than there is party. Yeah, and I uh, had to hold myself back from totally cracking up with Derek just subtly throughout they traded you Darvish. Yeah, that's part of this hangover. And despite having so many notable names and being a good walking team, they were just 10th in the NL in runs scored because of issues with making contact as a team that hit just 220, which is Yikes. absolutely not going to get the job done. That is pathetic. And it's crazy that they were able to, for the most part, run that central division. It just shows you how weak that division was. And part of the reason why that average was so low, Anthony Rizzo went just completely off the rails last year with the bat. He hit 222. Um, Javier Baez. Uh, remember, fantasy baseball, we look at some of these guys that – you know, get drafted way too high. He was averaging around a second round pick. And then your second round pick, he got a 203 average. That is absolutely not going to cut it. Kyle Schwarber, who signed with the Nationals, well, he hit 188. So good on the Nationals for bringing on another big lefty power bat that can't hit over 200. Chris Bryant. Uh, you talk about a guy that had MVP numbers back in the day. Well, he hit 206. And uh, how about Nico Horner? He hit 222. So that is just not going to cut it. The bullpen, it was fine. It had a lot of low moments, especially at the back end of the pen with Craig Kimbrell struggles. Now, Jeffrey or Jeremy Jeffress, he did help overcome this. Uh, they had a 4.38 bullpen ERA. Jeffress, though, had an ERA under two. Uh, so that was a big win for the Cubs. I don't even think they saw that coming. But for a team that had championship aspirations, that was definitely their Achilles heel paired with that really pathetic offense. And the front office, you talk about a front office that is in peril right now. Well, Theo Epstein has left. The ownership appears ready to completely blow this thing up. As I mentioned, Kyle Schwarber's gone. Yu Darvish was traded to the Padres. And then there's still obviously that uncertainty surrounding Contreras and Bryant. 
All right, so I want to do a thing with all the teams in this division. Worse or better than they were last year heading into 2021? Just real quickly, are the Cubs worse or better? Or oh, the absolutely same? worse. And where exactly I see that you know, win-loss record, I think the Cubs are going to be a team that's probably under 500, to be honest. Um, I just don't see – any sort of improvement, as I kind of mentioned previously, they're trying to blow this thing up. Um, I'm going to say they're probably going to end up being a 78-win team. I agree. I think they're worse as well. This will be interesting to track our trend with all these teams. The team who finished second in the division was the St. Louis Cardinals. Didn't get the full 60. If you remember, they had that long layoff due to COVID. They finished 30-28, and 28, which honestly, considering that long layoff, maybe we should be giving them more credit for what they did, finishing second in the division, making it to the wild card series. And they actually probably fared the best of any NL Central team in the playoffs. They got the first game against the Padres, and then they led in the second game, but then kind of lost it after that. Uh, Tatis hit, I think, like a grand slam or a big home run in that game to help them charge a comeback, and then it was all Padres from there. But the party for them, they had a really good pitching staff, fourth in the NL in ERA. They were first in hits allowed. They were first in defensive runs saved, so that obviously helped the pitching. And it's pretty amazing they did all that, even considering Jack Flaherty didn't really find his footing in the shortened season. I mean, Adam Wainwright helped pick it up. He was in his age 38 season. He was really good. Dakota Hudson was strong. Uh, Kwong Hyun Kim was a guy they signed uh, from overseas, and he was supposed to be a reliever, but he ended up making eight appearances with seven as a starter and had a 1.62 ERA, so they might have found something really good there. And then the bullpen. I mean, part of the reason you were able to move Hyung Kim to the starting rotation was because the bullpen had a lot of good pieces. Tyler Webb, Genesis Cabrera, John Gant, Andrew Miller, Austin Gomber – all of those guys had at least 14 appearances with ERAs under three. And then you had Giovanni Gallegos and Alex Reyes, who were in the threes for ERA, have really good stuff. And I think projecting forward, you look at those two guys and say, they could be future closers. They could be really good uh, relief pitchers moving forward. Yeah, and I think uh, another name to keep your eye on is Jordan Hicks. Uh, remember, that guy can throw over 100 miles per hour. He's clocked as high as, I believe, 105. So the Cardinals have some solid pieces moving forward. And uh, the crazy thing about Kwong and Kim, uh, I believe, is in first uh, actual appearance at the MLB level was as a closer, and he blew that save against <laughs> the Pittsburgh Pirates. And somehow, some way, he comes out with a 1-6-2 ERA. It just – <laughs> a lot of things didn't equate last year, but that might have been the craziest one. For the hangover, though, 14th in the NL in scoring. They were mainly because they had no pop. They were last in the NL in home runs and doubles, and that will kill you in an era where, of course, the long ball is really the main way why teams are scoring. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, he was absolutely phenomenal over this past year, though. He had over 300, had an OPS near 900. Uh, of course, Goldschmidt was acquired by the Diamondbacks a couple of years ago. They didn't quite get the performance they wanted in his initial year. I think this year, this is more the Goldschmidt that we know. The only other hitters, though, above league average for OPS outside of Goldschmidt, that was Harrison Bader, who's not known for his bat and for his glove. And how about Brad Miller, who came out of nowhere? I think he's been cut by like three teams, and somehow, some way, he was hitting in the three hole for the Cardinals. I rostered him in nearly every fantasy league at one point. So, kind of amazing that Brad Miller made this weird random resurgence. Uh, and the other 
thing is on the pitching side of things, they didn't strike people out. They were in the bottom three in NL and strikeouts for pitchers. Uh, they were very anti MLB trend in 2020 in that. And as Derek kind of mentioned, Jack Flaherty was just not very consistent. So it's going to be interesting to monitor a young pitcher like him that obviously we know that he is great stuff. The, the real question is, is that great stuff going to reappear? Are we going to get, you know, maybe just an abbreviated version of what we saw from him two years ago? Or is this past year of uncertainty and inconsistent performances by Flaherty what we are going to get from him moving forward? I'd like to kind of compare that to maybe a Chris Archer type, where Chris Archer went from being one of the best strikeout pitchers, you know, in the league. He gets traded and all of a sudden – uh, the guy can't figure it out. So obviously Flaherty's not getting traded. He's still a young pitcher, but are we going to get that Archer type decline or are we going to see him respond? And it was just kind of the question of uh, the responding to it being such a short and awkward season for the Cardinals. Does Anheuser-Busch own Miller light? I don't, I don't know, but if it, if it does, um, that is, that is such a walk in the park promotional aspect with Brad Miller, Miller time, and Anheuser-Busch, but I don't know if they own them or if Anheuser-Busch owns Bud Light. I, I can't remember. Ultimate question here is better, worse, or the same? And I think we can all agree, um, yeah, they're going to be better. Just when you look at the Nolan Arenado trade that they just made, that makes them better. We mentioned how good they were defensively. Um, he fits right into that. And then we mentioned some of the lack of hitting. Well, that really helps. And obviously there's going to be questions how much of Nolan Arenado, like the whatever multi-time all-star MVP candidate are you going to get? Or is it just going to be like a really good player because he's not playing in Coors Field? But either way, he's a huge upgrade to the lineup and he helps him out. So um, I think we can just move off of that question. The fact that, yeah, they are going to be better, I would assume, in 2021 than they were in 2020. Both when you look at just the organization and how they typically do pretty well, maybe some bounce back candidates like Flaherty, and then obviously, like I said, you traded for Nolan Arenado, who is a fantastic player. So they went 30 and 28 last season on paper in a 162 game season. That means they would have had 84 wins. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I actually, because of the fact the Cubs are dropping off, think that win total might go just a little bit higher. Derek kind of mentioned this division probably. I don't see it taking more than roughly 86 wins to win this thing. And they always tend to, to do well with bringing either prospects up or guys that maybe you haven't heard of, and then they turn out to be really good players. So I think you just kind of trust the culture and what they've put together as a team overall. To me, they're the favorite in the division, and I think they're – I agree. They're, they're slightly better. They're not like worlds better. I don't know that they can compete on the same level as a team like the Braves or the Dodgers or the Padres, but I do think they're the best in the division. The team who finished third in the NL Central was the Cincinnati Reds. They were 31-29. and 29. They also lost the wild card round uh, to the Braves, 2-0. to zero. For the party, fourth in the NL in home runs. They were first in walks. Those are both uh, things that are trends in the positive direction for them in the new age of baseball. Joey Votto had a nice little power revitalization. Normally, he's more of a contact guy, but – uh, he hit high home run totals. And then you got your typical home run numbers from Mike Moustakis, Eugenio Suarez, uh, Nicholas Castellanos. I mean, he started the season. He looked like he was going to win MVP after the first like two weeks of the season still ended up overall with a really good year. Jesse Winker. Uh, I mean, there have been different people from the Reds organization who have said like, he's the best pure hitter. 
but he's really bad at defense, so he's going to get left out of the everyday lineup. But overall, he's like a really good hitter when you add especially those other guys. And then the pitching, that was actually the best part of this team. Second in the RA in the NL, they're first in strikeouts. Trevor Bauer, we know the phenomenal season that he had. Luis Castillo had kind of a, a slow start to the season where he was in, you know, the fours of ERA, but he ended up in the threes. Sonny Gray has been really good ever since going over to the Reds. Tyler Molly, Maley, I don't know how to ever pronounce it. He had a good Malley. season. Okay, Malley, he had a good season. Um, all of them had ERAs in the threes. Bauer was even lower than that. And the starters overall, 3.5 ERA. Bullpen wasn't as good. It had a 4.5 ERA, but they at least have a few interesting pieces in the bullpen that uh, combined with the starters made them good enough to at least make the playoffs. Derek, have you ever seen Luis Castillo's changeup? It's phenomenal. It might be the greatest that I've ever seen. I mean, it is truly an elite pitch. Uh, I think the MLB uh, Twitter account even just a, a week ago had shown that changeup over and over and asked, which pitch would you rather have, that or Kershaw's curveball? Would you have Chris Sale slider? I mean, it is one of those elite pitches. So Luis Castillo, definitely a guy that can punch guys out. The Reds have a lot looking forward. You mentioned Nicholas Castellanos having that great start. Obviously, he fell off, and that leads us to this hangover because I could honestly speak on Tom Brenneman's account here and say, and there's a long drive, and Luis Castillo, or Nick Castellanos has hit a home run, and that will make it four to nothing in favor of the Reds. I feel like that tone is how I have to read off, uh, you know, this hangover portion here because they were 13th in the National League in runs scored and last in hits. And they scored a grand total of zero runs in the two playoff games they had against the Braves. The pitching was actually great. Trevor Bauer pitched his heart out in that series. But when you can't score runs, how do you expect to win? You know, it's the concept in football of, you know, defense wins games. Well, you still have to have an offense. You see the Kansas City Chiefs out there doing their thing. Uh, offense is a big part of it. And so it's the same in baseball here. And only one player with 75 or more player play, plate appearances even hit over 250. And that was Jesse Winker. As you mentioned, he was hitting pretty dang well last season. It's a bit of a surprise. You know, you'd have a team with Votto, Moustakis, Suarez, Akiyama, Senzel, Castellanos had that great start. And you had more depth as well. Uh, I mean, you look at Aquino, uh, just two seasons ago, Aristides Aquino had one of the most unbelievable performances, uh, hitting just back-to-back-to-back-to-back days of home runs. Um but they were not an average offense. They were certainly below league average in that. And for whatever reason, a slow start, they just, the players were not developing up to their potential. And I think that specifically speaks volumes for Senzel. And at the end of the day, they also had some pretty bad luck. Um, there was some serious regression with them. It was also just, you know, kind of a rough ending for them all around. And uh, not a great performance considering the fact they were able to nab that final you know, that second to last postseason spot as well. Um, and I thought at the start of the year, this was a team that could reach the World Series. I'd even placed a bet on them going and winning the World Series because I loved their offseason moves. And on paper, it looked like a great team. But ultimately, uh, that's where you find yourself. And obviously, the direction of this organization is going to be interesting. Um, you hear all these trade rumors and uh, it's just kind of confusing. They obviously traded Rysel Iglesias to the Angels. It's just 
hard to figure out what direction these Reds are going in, not to mention they're losing their Cy Young Award winner in Trevor Bauer. By the way, I looked it up while you were talking. Luis Castillo, over the last two seasons combined, against his changeup, uh, opposing batters are hitting 150. It's been there an incredible go. pitch. And it's been his like most used pitch, too. So it's not like it's just only throwing it 15% of the time or something. We're uh, talking so, top shelf. That's top shelf changeups right there. Yes, he is. Whereas the Reds uh, were not top shelf overall as a team, but – they weren't bottom shelf either, so are they better, worse, or the same as they were last year? They went 31-29 and 29 last year. That equates to roughly 84 wins, much like those Cardinals. And I'm going to say that they are going to go down from that number. To me, they're maybe a 500 team at most. I'm going to say they go 80-82 and 82 this upcoming season if we have 162 games. To me, they're not a terrible team. They're just kind of right in the middle of the pack. And, you know, obviously making some moves moving forward maybe is in their their movement. I don't know. It's hard to just figure this team out. And I don't think they're a bad team. I just think that in a crummy division like the Central is, they're going to be fine. They're not going to win a ton of games. They're not going to lose a ton of games. That would mean I got to meet right in the middle. They're going to be right around 500. What about you? I think they'll be about the same. Um I, I still, even without Trevor Bauer, I like the, the rotation a lot with Castillo and Gray kind of headlining it. I think uh, they have enough from, like, you know, Tyler Maley and Wade Miley uh, behind him. I kind of think the, the lineup is better than they produced in a shortened season. Like, to me, they seem like one of those teams that if there would have been the full 162, there would have been a little bit of a regression to the mean for some of the guys. Like, I mean, Eugenio Suarez hitting around 200 or Joey Votto hitting like 220, basically. Like Shogo Akiyama started to figure it out as things went on. I think they'll have a little bit better season offensively here to kind of offset the loss of Trevor Bauer that I think they'll be about the same as last year. And kind of right now, I would peg them to finish second in that division, which I don't think that's a playoff team, but are they going to be above 500? I would probably take that bet. The team who finished fourth in the NL Central was the Milwaukee Brewers and won that stupid tiebreaker over the Giants, 29-31 in route to the wild card round loss to the Los Angeles Dodgers, 2-0. And uh, things didn't go well for them in the postseason. As far as the party, solid at pitching overall. Their top four in hits allowed, home runs allowed, strikeouts. They're sixth in the ERA. I think the ERA would have been even better if the defense was better because they were kind of below average on defense. Lorenzo Kane opted out. That obviously hurt them there, and he'll be back this year. But they're one, too, and we had Ronnie Bedrosian on uh, a couple weeks ago, and he kind of talked about this. Like, Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns, they're, they're really good. That's a really good one-two tandem in the MLB. Neither really goes super deep into games. That's, I think, more of a product of what the Brewers do. They usually don't really allow the pitcher to go a third time through the order. But for the couple times they are going through the order, they're getting a lot of outs, they're getting a lot of strikeouts, and they're doing what they need to do. Not really a super deep staff behind them, not um, necessarily a super deep bullpen, but between those kind of top two guys and then some of the top-end bullpen guys they have, like Josh Hader, Brent Suter, Eric Yardley, Freddie Peralta, and who knows if he'll be a starter or reliever, kind of sticking his role where he's kind of that long reliever who can make spot starts. 
all really good. And most of all was, I mean, you mentioned Luis Castillo's changeup. Devin Williams has a filthy changeup as well. Last season specifically, his changeup was the most unhittable pitch in baseball. Who knows what we'll see from him over a full season because it was a shortened season. But the staff was good enough to kind of push this team into the playoffs. And actually, they held down the Dodgers offense. Like, if you if you said, we're going to play the Dodgers in the playoffs, and in the first two games we play them, we're only going to give up seven total runs, you'd say, okay, I'll take that. And we'll see what we can do offensively. But, I mean, they just they, – they didn't have the offense. Yeah, and also in that series against the Dodgers, they didn't have arguably their two best pitchers. That was Corbin Burns, as well as you mentioned it, Devin Williams. So uh, kind of a tough break for the Brewers there towards the end of the season because you're right, that, that's pretty impressive. Holding the Dodgers to seven runs, I mean, the Braves couldn't do that for an entire inning, uh, giving up 11 in one single inning. So uh, good on the Brewers for doing that. Uh, the hangover, though. 12th in the NL in runs scored. As you mentioned, the bats were just not there. They ranked near the bottom in the NL in mostly every category, which carried into the postseason. That's why even though they held the Dodgers to seven runs, they only combined for two runs and 11 total hits in those two playoff games. One of those games, Kershaw struck out 13 over eight innings pitched. I mean, just simply dominant against that Brewers lineup. Derek, maybe a trivia question for some of the folks out there. You know, you got Christian Yelich on this team. You got Keston Hira. Can you name the only Brewers hitter with a minimum of 100 plate appearances to hit above 250? Uh, that doesn't seem like a very high bar. 250, that's it? I know Yelich didn't get there. Yelich had a really rough season. I would have thought Keston would have been there. I mean, he's such a good hitter. He had kind of a sophomore slump. I still think he'll have a, a really good, good career and good year this year. I have no idea. Who is it? The answer is Orlando Arcia. (laughs) Really? And he's like not even known for his bat. He's more of like a fielder. He hit 260. I I remember, you know, it's crazy because Arcia is one of those guys that will hit two to three home runs in the regular season and hit two to three home runs in the postseason. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. (laughs) It's like all of a sudden this guy just gets tons of power in the playoffs. I don't understand it. He torched the Dodgers. Uh, I believe he even hit a home run against them in that series for one of those two runs. But, um, you know, things are bad when your best hitter by OPS plus is Jed Jerko. Uh, You know, Christian Yelich. Yeah, right, right. Jed Jerko actually was a pretty good bat last year. Um, I wanted the Dodgers to go back out and get him as, you know, a util kind of guy because he can be a serviceable bat, and he was for them for a little bit. But a a big reason why there were struggles for Christian Yelich, you know, he just couldn't put any consistent at-bats together. Um, you know, there's always going to be that slump for a big-name player. You saw it for a lot of guys in that shortened season. Derek, do you think there's reason for optimism for Yelich moving forward? I mean, we're talking just a, two years ago, that guy's an MVP. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you go with the long-term track record uh, for a guy like Christian Yelich and say that, yeah, you think things are going to be fine. And this is – you know, it almost feels a little picky and choosy when uh, we look at the 60-game season and you just kind of apply to certain guys like, yeah, but if it was a full season, like he might have hit 350 over the last three months of the year or something. And it just feels like Christian Yelich is one of those guys. Even if like the power stuff wasn't there, because he hit 44 home runs last year, 36 the year before. Historically over his career, that's the weird thing. He hit 205 last year. He's been like a high contact guy. The lowest batting average he had in the MLB before this past year was 282. 
So do I think he'll be all right? Yes, I do. He's 28 years old. It's not like he turned 36 and he just completely lost or something. There is a little bit of concern for me in terms of really high strikeout numbers. So he wasn't really even making contact as much as usual, but I think he'll be okay. What about you? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's hard to bet against these guys. I think guys like Nolan Arenado will make a comeback. I mean, it, this 60-game stretch was affecting people in different ways, and I think Derek and I can both speak on behalf of COVID when we could say that that stuff is terrible. I mean, it affects you in <laughs> different ways, whether you have it, like physically have it, or it just stops your career. It stops you from doing the normal things. And so that's obviously going to have a negative effect in – Clearly, some way down the road, that really affected Christian Yelich. I think Keston Hira, uh, shout-outs to a former high school teammate. You know, he didn't put up the numbers that he normally does as well. I think he led the league, actually, in the NL in strikeouts. And that could just be a product of trying to do too much because, quite frankly, as we've hyped on now, the Brewers' bats just never came alive. And and Keston and Yelich are the two that are kind of expected to lead that lineup. And so sometimes you find yourself – getting into a slump, trying to do too much. Um, And I think at the end of the day, that team will kind of figure it out a little bit. Better or worse or the same? Uh, So they went 29 and 31 last year. That would equate to roughly 78 wins in a 162 game season. I think they're better than that. Um, I don't know how much better. I'm going to say that they will probably come in second place in this division. I like the pitching that they have. Um, I think that the lineup will probably start to figure itself out a little bit more. I'm going to give them 83 wins on the season. I'm going to say about the same for them as well. Um, I like the top two guys in the rotation. Don't necessarily love the depth of this team overall. And I think Yelich and Keston will have really good seasons, but if they're not back to – uh, specifically with Yelich, like MVP level, because they don't have as much depth throughout the lineup. I, I think that's going to be a big miss. So I think they'll be around a 500 team, which is kind of what they were this past year. And then the team who uh, finished last in the central Pittsburgh pirates, they went 19 and 41 a season ago. They actually, I think got the over on their over under win totals though. I think people were expecting them to be like a 15 win team or something. Uh, as far as the party, Pitching wasn't really a train wreck for this team. They were about average in the MLB and ERA. Joe Musgrove, we mentioned him uh, last week's show in the trade to the Padres, had a 380 ERA, a 12K per nine. He had a solid season. Steven Brault had a 3-4 ERA. Mitch Keller had a season where his like FIP hated him, which is kind of funny because the year before, the FIP uh, specific, that stat loved him but his ERA was terrible this year. It was completely flipped and some of the other analytics didn't love him this year, but overall under three ERA. And then Chad cool is, is kind of a guy who has some pretty good stuff. Low four ERA seems to be kind of a a solid, like back end of the rotation pitcher Uh, could be a guy that has success as a back end of the rotation pitcher with another team. Eventually same kind of goes for the bullpen. Not many names that people would necessarily recognize the same that you might not recognize Steven Brault or Chad cool. Uh, but, you know, they, they weren't great, but they weren't awful either, which for a team that finished last in the division, that's, I guess, on the lookup. And then the other thing for this team, some of the young players, uh, I think, have, have shown flashes or performed well. Clearly, there's not enough up right now. But, like, Cabrian Hayes, 
ripped the cover off of the baseball to start his career. Brian Reynolds had kind of a bad year, but I think in the bigger sample in 2019, you really like what you saw from him. Jared Oliva, um, I think could come up and, and be a really good piece in the outfield for this team. And then I mentioned Mitch Keller. Some of the analytics don't love him, but when you have a young pitcher who puts together 2.91 ERA, you're not really going to complain. Yeah. Uh, one thing I got to add to Stephen Brault. Derek, did you know that Stephen Brault is like just incredibly gifted, not only on the Hill, but the man has like an unbelievable singing voice. I had no idea you could. Okay. So like I, in the off season, there was this, uh, and I think I sent it to you as well. There was this like quiz you could take where it's like name the pirates 40 man roster. And that was like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like if that would have been the difference between, you know, uh, an acceptance exam for me getting into college instead of like the ACT SAT, I would be not in college. You know, I wouldn't have gone to college at all. Um, I think I got like, I don't know, nine of 40, right. Or something like that. That was like maybe the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. So no, I do not know anything about Steven Brault. And I did not know anything about him until I did a deep dive on this team. You need to Google or go on YouTube and listen to this guy sing because he's phenomenal. Like actually amazing. Uh, I was watching a random pirates game. I'll explain why in a little bit, but um, Steven Brault, saying, take me out to the ball game, and it was unbelievable. And so that 3-3-8 ERA that he had, that's not the only impressive thing about him. That guy's got pipes, man. So he's on very a, into the arts, and so he, he fits Pittsburgh well. On a scale of Trevor Bauer to 10, where would you rank Stephen Brault's scene? I don't know. Trevor Bauer's got everybody beat. If you have not heard Trevor Bauer sing, do yourself a favor, go on YouTube and make sure that you're not playing it very loudly or you might just blow your ears out. Steven Brault is definitely one that's a very pleasant one on the ears. Trevor Bauer is like taking pots and pans and clanging them at 2 a.m. It's that next door neighbor that you just want to shut up and they never will. That's Trevor Bauer singing. So uh, it's good that that guy could pitch because Steven Brault could probably make money in you know some sort of musical background, kind of like what Barry Zito and Bronson Arroyo did. Uh, Barry Zito is on The Masked Singer, I believe. Uh, that's your guy right there. And Stephen Brawl could easily pull that off. But, man, yeah, Trevor Bauer singing, brutal. And kind of going off of that, The Hangover, um, there's a lot to go off Seamless of. Seamless transition team, there. It, it, it was. It's, it's unfortunate that Trevor Bauer's singing probably does equate to this hangover. The Pirates were last in the National League and runs scored on base percentage slugging and more. Josh Bell, who was traded, he was supposed to be this team's best hitter. He also had a rough year, and uh, now he's gone. So that makes it even harder. Uh, that was also the case for Gregory Polanco, who's also been reportedly injured. Cole Tucker, who honestly doesn't matter what that guy does on the field. He's dating Vanessa Hudgens. Congratulations to him on that. Uh, and then also, as Derek mentioned, you have Reynolds, uh, Adam Frazier, Kevin Newman, among others. You know, Adam Frazier and Kevin Newman kind of – I get mixed up with those guys a little bit. They seem kind of like the same – uh, consistent numbers and performances. They're actually solid players, but um, and Ren Reynolds will come up and do some big stuff for them, I think, in the future. But this roster is a shell overall of what you know most major league rosters are, of course. And they're probably trying to tank at this time. Uh, you look at the draft ahead; uh, it looks like they're going to be eyeing Rocker out of Vanderbilt, and so I think that that's something that probably would be in the Pirates' best interest here for this upcoming draft. And then who knows for the following draft, if they tank again. Um, but arguably their best or one of their best hitters 
uh, in Josh Bell. He was traded. And then the pitcher in Joe Musgrove was traded over to the Padres. Um, This is probably going to be uh, one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball, if not the, the worst record in baseball. Yeah, and it's just, you know, they're going to have young players coming up who I think could make a good future impact. But right now, when you trade away arguably your best hitter, arguably your best pitcher, uh, it's just not going to be in the cards necessarily in 2021. But that's going to leave some playing time for some interesting pieces. And uh, one of those interesting pieces is actually going to join us on next week's show. Yeah, uh, as I kind of said earlier, I was watching a random Pirates game. Uh, that was Jared Oliva's. MLB debut. Um, he went to high school with both Derek and I, and uh, kind of funny going back, I think to 2012, I want to say 2012 or 2013, uh, we did a fantasy baseball draft with 16 teams and we did it in Derek's garage. So Derek's the commissioner and 16 teams with like 20 people because there were dual managers. And in that garage <laughs> was Keston Hira as a manager of the team, I believe, that won the league. And then Jared's team, which I'm fairly certain I'll have to ask him on our next podcast. Uh, but I'm fairly certain I paid Jared $5 for Joey Votto. So I hope that when he faces <laughs> the Reds this upcoming year, he can tell Joey Votto that he sold him for $5. Uh, but, yeah, we're very excited to have Jared and uh, – Quick backstory on him, and uh, we'll we'll leave the rest for him next week. But just a great overall human being, um, great swing, great talent on the field. But man, it took a lot for him to get to where he is today. It did not come easy. He is the definition of a hard worker, a persistent human being. Um, He's a kind person. That's the reason why he's coming on our show. He's still a great friend. Love keeping in touch with him. And um, you know, I hope that people out there will quickly learn his name and they should because this kid can swing the bat and he can steal bases like no man's business. Um, It's going to be really fun to talk to him. And obviously the pirates aren't maybe going in the right direction right now, but I'm curious, Derek, to hear his perspective on where this organization is going because Jared is supposed to be one of those key leaders for this team moving forward. Yeah, so really excited for that conversation next week. That's going to do it for this week's show, though, for our NL Central recap. Subscribe to us. Give us a five-star review. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Audible. We're on social media, at Booze and Baseball. That's at Booze and Baseball. And you can reach out to our email as well, boozeandbaseball at gmail.com if you have any questions suggest some alcohol to review thank you to mix kit for our stock music thank you to mad cave merch for our coasters if you're looking for any coasters with whether you want baseball cards football cards basketball cards they can get that accomplished for you put some cards and some other cool stuff in their coasters and it's going to turn out really well you're going to have the coolest coasters around everybody's going to be asking you where'd you get those and you're going to say mad cave merch Drink responsibly, have a good one, and dream hard of Stephen Brault pitching to Nori Aoka. And dream hard of Stephen Brault pitching to Nori Aoki. For Dusty Baker, I'm Derek Johnson. Have a good one.